you are listening to Sheep Might Draw, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. I'm hoping my voice doesn't give out because I just recorded uh, an emergency extra podcast with Verity, uh, which will be up later this week, in which we talk about the new developments in uh, Doctor Who announcements of the last week. But anyway, our current serial is Musketeer Space. Chapter 19. How they lost Porthos and Aramis. Dana had thought she'd got to know her three musketeers well over the last couple of months. But you don't really know people until you're forced to spend several days in close confinement with them. They were dressed as civilians. For Athos, this meant a grey flight suit and matching jacket. Aramis joked that if you cut off Athos's arm, you would find blue blood dotted with the fleur-de-lis in his veins. So the lack of uniform was fooling no one. At least his new jacket was long enough for him to carry his pilot's slice concealed. Athos also had an ancient and battered dark grey hat, which he pulled down over his face to pretend he was asleep, when no, he wanted no one to talk to him. This was most of the time. Porthos wore a fiery red wig, blazing gold earrings and silk pyjamas in a swirling ocean pattern on the grounds that a touch of glam made her more comfortable. And as the only one of them who had left their ship back on Paris satellite, she didn't have to worry about being ready for the helm. Every six hours or so, to prove how bored she was, she changed her outfit and her wig. Athos had threatened to set fire to her suitcase. Aramis wore a dark green flight suit, gathering her hair at the nape of her neck instead of the usual tight topknot. If I have to fly in a hurry, I'll probably strangle myself, she noted, but at least it looks casual. The first day on the Calais Solar Crawler consisted of card games, nervous tension, and Aramis and Porthos telling loud scandalous stories about each other's sex lives, which had the bonus effect of scaring away the travellers who attempted to share their carriage. It allowed them to spread out more, so that Athos could sulk quietly on the far side of the aisle from his more raucous friends. Aramis sometimes joined him, reading poetry to herself and sighing loudly about the desertion of Tracy Dubois. Dana spent her time stalking the Duchess of Buckingham via Planchet's very convenient app. At least this meant she grew annoyed at the dissolute lifestyle and irritating public habits of someone other than her three friends. By the second day, all four of them were just about ready to kill each other. They took turns sleeping in the bunks above the seats, never more than two at a time. They prowled the aisles of the other carriages in the guise of visiting the food printers, and they developed new and interesting ways of getting on each other's nerves. It was the third shift of the second day, and the train lights were low. Dana slept for a few hours, to the soothing sound of Aramis and Porthos muttering at each other beneath her bunk. Athos, in the bunk on the far side of the carriage, had been lying still for a long time. 
As Dana awoke, she heard a name, and then another, and frowned as it seemed that Aramis and Porthos were speaking in code. Landre, said Aramis. Nying, said Porthos. Petronova, D. Dana turned, irritated, to see Athos's bright blue eyes shining at her from across the carriage. They're trying to work out which of them has shagged their way through more of Paris, he said, and there was something about his disapproving tone of voice that broke Dana completely. She laughed out loud, and Athos's mouth twitched as if he wanted to laugh too. Just like that, their friends were less annoying again, which came as a relief. The peanut gallery can stay quiet, or we will entreat them to put their money where their mouths are, Aramis said from below. Oh, I'm definitely not playing, said Athos, rolling onto his back. You could bet on the outcome, suggested Porthos. Gambling was always an option where she was concerned. Not doing that either. Athos said firmly. It's going to be a tie. Smart ass, said Porthos. There was a long pause. It is a tie. Inconceivable. I know Aramis is more of a tart than I am. My affairs are sequential rather than simultaneous, Aramis said, sounding smug. Be thankful you have divided Paris so neatly between you both, Athos yawned. Aramis takes the women, Porthos the men. No need to squabble about it. Dana arched an eyebrow at him and asked the question she would not normally dare to ask aloud. And what about Athos? He huffed quietly at the ceiling and said nothing. Ah, said Aramis, as if she was discussing a great tragedy. Athos fucks no one. It's a great source of frustration to us all. Not true, said Athos from his bunk, shifting again so that he had his back to Dana. I hooked up with a sabre three months ago. You got into a duel over my honour. Oh yes, Aramis said, how could I have forgotten? The truth, said Porthos in a mocking voice, is that Athos fucks no one who could ever make him happy. Thank you said Athos, sounding approving, far more accurate. There was a long pause, and Dana wondered if he was asleep or only pretending that so the conversation would end. And Dana? said Porthos cheekily from below. Oh, me, Dana said, glad at least for the low lights so she wouldn't have to meet any of their eyes. Paris is full of beautiful women and irresistible men. I'm sure I'll catch up with you all eventually. Athos snorted. If you could try not to attract a political conspiracy with every affair, it would be easier on my nerves. Dana grinned at the ceiling, thinking of the beautiful Conrad Sue. No promises. A few hours later, Dana was awoken by a touch of Aramis's cool hand on her cheek. Time to start paying attention, baby doll. How long? asked Athos, rolling out of the other bunk and landing lightly on his feet. Dana took longer, sighing before opening her eyes properly. How long for what? 
There are three points on the route where the Calais crosses church space, said Aramis, helping Dana down from her own bunk. If they're going to jump us, it's going to be in one of those windows of opportunity. The first one is due in about 20 minutes, but it's a short run. They'd have to be confident they could arrest and have us packed away in under an hour. The second window is next shift and much longer. That's the one they're more likely to take. Unless they lose their nerve and strike early, said Athos. Dana felt disgruntled. They hadn't mentioned any of this to her before. This was supposed to be her mission. Then again, she should have researched the route herself. It had never occurred to her she'd need to check for pockets of church space. Where's Porthos? Porthos is in the bar lounge, creating a false sense of security among the red hammers, said Aramis with a sly smile. Is that code for gaming and drinking? asked Dana. I'm hoping for gaming and pretending to be much more drunk than she is, said Athos. But you can never be entirely sure with Porthos. Spaceship calling the sword silver, Aramis coughed pointedly. She's not the only gambling drunk in this party. I never said she was, Athos replied. Aramis spoke into her stud, connecting all three of them to Porthos. Darling, you need to pull back. Dangerous territory ahead. Dana heard a buzz of conversation and static in her ear, for a moment, and then the clink of glasses. After a long pause, they heard Porthos speak in a low voice. May have miscalculated? I keep winning. Aramis frowned. So lose some of it and get back here. I've been trying, Porthos insisted, but I keep winning. They're seriously pissed off. If I leave the table now, I think they're going to kill me. So you're gambling with hammers, Athos said as he joined the conversation. And now you've given them an excuse to jump you. I've bought drinks for the room, but that's only going to take us so far, Porthos whispered. They're calling me back to the table. Hang on. Cheat to lose, Aramis hissed. I don't like this. Fuck that, said Athos. Leave the money and run. Porthos, get the hell out of there. This smells like a trap. Silence from Porthos. Aramis took her pilot slice from her bag and hung the baton from her belt, giving up on any pretense that she was a civilian. She pulled an arc ray Dana had never seen before from the deep pockets in her flight suit. I'm going to get her. Dana took the opportunity to check on her own weapons, the pilot slice baton that Athos had given her, and the pearl stunner from Aramis. Athos was already at the door of the carriage, but Aramis grabbed his collar and hauled him back. No, I'm going to get her. You and Dana make for the parry riposte in the hold. Porthos and I will make contact with the Morning Star and get out that way. Aramis, Athos said, in a pained voice. Go, she said, smacking him on the shoulder. You have to get Dana to Valor. She blew Dana a quick kiss, and then threw herself through the rattling connecting door, and was gone. For a moment Dana could not breathe. Then Athos moved lifting himself up into the bunk he had most recently slept in. His fingers and then the sharp edge of his pilot slice worked quickly against the ventilation panel in the ceiling, which sprang open as if this was a trick he had prepared earlier.
You've done this before, Dana accused. Athos gave her a swift, fierce grin. Memorising the blueprints of public transport vehicles is never a waste of time. We chose this particular carriage for a reason. With a fluidity that would only surprise those who had never fenced against him, he slid up and into the opening he had created, climbing into the narrow space beyond. Dana did not hesitate to follow, pulling the ventilation panel closed behind them. Their journey through the inner fittings of the Calais was long and tiring, though they covered a remarkably short distance for the effort it took. By the time they had made their way down into a service corridor, Dana was grimy and short of breath. Athos looked more cheerful than she'd seen him in ages. Another shortcut, he revealed, hacking the electronic lock of a freight lift. Act like you own the place. Pretending I own an entire solar crawler won't arouse suspicion at all, Dana griped. But she restrained herself from saying more. What would she have done without her musketeer friends and their experience to get her this far? She'd never felt so young in her life. The freight lift took them down to the storage bay in the belly of the Calais, which was packed with crates and containers. Running alongside the enormous bay, were the separate cells containing ships under transport to Valor. Each opened out into its own airlock, for ease of loading and unloading. Dana's stomach untwisted with relief as she saw the parry repost. Its fin tattoo covered in a neutral pattern of geometric shapes, instead of its usual display of sword hilts, vines and mountain range. For the first time, Dana wondered about that mountain and what it meant to her friend. Athos hissed between his teeth, and Dana responded to his warning, stepping back to conceal herself behind a pile of bright orange storage tanks. Dana did not have an arc ray of her own, only the pearl stunner. When Athos slid his own hand out from under his grey jacket, she was mildly surprised to see he was also armed with a stunner. How many? she mouthed to him. He showed her four fingers. Two each, then. Perfectly manageable. If she could overcome the pounding of her heartbeat in her ears to aim. The calm silence from Porthos and Aramis was terrifying. She couldn't think about that. Athos counted to three silently, by tapping his boot lightly against Dana's own. Then he swung out on the far side of the tanks, and Dana moved the other way. She immediately saw two red hammers standing sentry at the hatch of the parry riposte, which hung open. A pair of sabres had hold of Grimaud's arms and were marching her away from the ship. Dana shot fast, first the one holding Grimaud's right arm, then the guard on the left of the hatch. Athos had taken out the guard on the right of the hatch already, but tried for a double shot on the guards holding Grimaud, which set up a fierce buzz of bright white stunner feedback. They ran across the ship, coming to a halt at Grimaud's unconscious body. Is that why you're not allowed a real gun? Dana demanded. Results are what matter, Athos growled, scooping up his engie and throwing her over his shoulder. Let's get on board. You didn't trust me to cover two of them, Dana spat. Athos gave her 
a weary look. Don't take it personally, D'Artagnan. I don't trust anyone to do anything. But it wasn't true, Dana thought, as they made for the hatch and closed it behind them. If Aramis and Porthos had been here, Athos would not have hesitated to assume they were each capable of stunning two guards. The Paris Riposte had a standard internal layout for darts, with a secondary NG seat beside the pilot's harness and a couple of jump seats at the back of the flight deck for passenger transport. Like Dana's old buttercup, there was a tiny cabin at the back with a bunk and other basic features. Instead of putting the stunned Grimaud on the bunk, Athos strapped her into one of the jump seats and then took his own place in the pilot's position, arranging harness and helm with a deliberate precision that made it clear he had done this many times without the assistance of an engine. Dana would have offered to help despite being pissed off at him, but he didn't even pause as he snapped the cables into his own neck port and clipped the straps of the harness firmly around him. Request emergency burst exit, he ordered her, inserting another cable into his scalp as he secured the helm. They won't open the airlock for us otherwise. Dana took the seat beside him and leaned into the ship's comm, glad she could have something practical to do, something to take her mind off worrying about their friends, if only for a few seconds. She summoned up a casual drawl as she spoke. Calais Control, this is Civilian Storage Ship Reference A309458, requesting clearance for emergency airlock release. Reference 309458, this is an irregular request, came the tinny voice from Calais Control. Full passage will not be reimbursed. Sorry, Calais Control, family emergency. We need to bug out earlier than expected. Terms and conditions understood. Safety protocols enabled. Airlock will release in three minutes. Thank you, Calais Control. Dana glanced over at Athos. Three minutes. A lot can happen in three minutes, he said, flicking between security screens. He rolled the ship forward a little to put more distance between the crumpled hammers and sabres and themselves. It was at the two and a half minute mark that reinforcements arrived. Half a dozen more hammers ran into the storage bay, arc rays at the ready. Athos immediately fired up the main thrusters, sending a wave of heat back in the direction of the fallen and active guards. You'll kill them, Dana said in a low voice. Better them than us. Or did you forget that your mission is for the crown? Reference 309458, detecting life signs too close to your ship for standard safety parameters, broke in Calais Control. Dana reached for the comm, but Athos took over. They're nothing to do with us, Calais Control. But if we move fast, the rogue element won't be coming into the airlock with us. Understood, reference 309458, said Calais Control. And to Dana's surprise, the airlock seal slid open. Athos ran the ship forward just enough, and the seal closed behind them, to the dismay and fury of the sabres and other red guards. Thought it was you, Athos, added Calais Control, in a far more casual voice. Paul with you? She's still on board, Mark, said Athos. Keep an eye out for her. She was in trouble, last I heard. 
Understood. 309458. Fly safe, said the voice back to its businesslike and almost robotic formula. The final seal of the airlock gasped open, propelling the parry riposte out into cold space. They drifted for several hundred metres before the distance was safe enough for Athos to fire up the engine properly and draw the doubt away from the Calais. Was that another one of Porthos's boyfriends driving the damn solar crawler? Dana said after a moment. Athos shrugged. I'm not even surprised anymore. Dana concentrated on breathing, trying to calm her thoughts. They were clear for now. She was on track for her mission. But it had been one hell of a cost. Athos's hand nudged against hers, and he pointed to one of the several screens, showing the spacescape outside the ship. Dana could see the long, sinuous shape of the Calais, running along the virtual rails, that traced glowing, only detectable by computer, silver lines from Paris satellite all the way to Valor, and ensured there was no deviation in the flight path. There, attached to the side of the train, like a leech on a miner's leg, was the Morning Star. Like the parry riposte, Aramis's dart was in disguise, with a pattern of suns and moons tattooed across its fin, instead of the more devout imagery that Aramis preferred. Athos activated his comm, pulling Dana into the same call. Bonnie? Bazin? What's happening? There was a pause, and then the anxious tones of Bazin, the android, filled the comms. Captain Lieutenant Aramis is aboard, but wounded. She is not currently conscious. Engineer Boniface has boarded the Calais to secure Captain Lieutenant Porthos. Athos nodded grimly, as if this was about what he had expected. Give Bonnie and Porthos as much time as you can, but if any sabres or hammers approach the hatch, detach immediately and get Aramis to a medibay. Mung Station is the closest. Those instructions are compatible with my orders from Captain Lieutenant Aramis, Bazin said. Godspeed. Captain Lieutenant Athos? Godspeed, Bazin, said Athos, and closed the comp. Dana was shaking. She had no idea what to do with any of this. Aramis and Porthos? They'll be fine, Athos said. Worry about us. We're the ones with the precious cargo. They're out of it. He glanced at the screens. We can outstrip the Calais, make it to Valor in the next eight hours at maximum thrust. Nine or ten hours if I take the route to avoid crossing pockets of church space. But if they send pursuit ships after us, there's nothing to do but fly fast and hope for the best. Not if, Dana said. When? Athos nodded, hands steady on the controls. He always looked more at peace in helm and harness of his dart than at any other time. Not if, he agreed. When? Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. Uh, you can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories. 
for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.